Hello, today you will hear Felix's story. As a child, he spent hours watching trains pass by the window of his apartment in Switzerland. Until one day, he left. But when you do go somewhere and you work, then you get an exposure not only to the language, but also to the culture and mm -hmm. the way of living. And that part I was very attracted to. He still loved to travel and discover new cultures. He experienced culture shock in the place he least expected. When, I, when we arrived here, the first six months, I, I had a true culture shock. Much more compared to when I traveled to Latin America or to Africa. And I think reason of it was that I didn't expect the culture shock. So, are you ready to listen to his story? It's a great pleasure. I don't know if you have any idea of what question I'm going to ask you or what's the purpose of the podcast. Not the slightest. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so let me begin with asking some information about your childhood, where you grew up, what it was like, you know, your family, your neighborhood. Okay, I grew up in a rather small village in the German part of Switzerland called Goldau. It's a rather picturesque place. It's between mountains and lakes. I grew up with deaf parents and uh, three siblings, uh, all of them hearing. The village I grew up in has a big train station because the, it's on the main north-south axis. Did the, this train station make you dream? Sometimes about going away. So we grew up right next to the train station. My mother tells me that I spent hours and hours standing on a little chair and I would watch the trains arrive and leave. And I always wanted to become a train conductor, of course. So I was dreaming on leaving. And you, you mentioned that your parents were deaf. So how was it? I think it wasn't difficult at all and also you only realize when you're kind of adult that it is different because when you grow up that is your environment and and for me it was always the normality I lost siblings we would hear them so we would communicate by listening what they say and then speaking back by moving our lips in a little bit exaggerated way, so uh, uh. they would read our lips. And did you take advantages sometimes with your siblings? All the time. <laughs> if, I, if I look back to my child, on my childhood, I mean, and having kids myself, it's awful. Really, I mean, we were jerks. We were <laughs> so not politically correct. Constantly imitate us and make fun of the dead. You know, at the table, we would eat. And my parents, when they talk to each other, they don't use a voice, so they just read lips. And then us siblings, we would have a conversation using our voice, of course. And well, every now and then you would talk about your parents. <laughs> and when you talk about somebody, you usually you know, look at those people. And so my mother often figured 
that we were talking about them and then would ask, what are you talking about? And then we would persistently lie. And it was just normal, we just did it all the time. Mm -hmm. And now having my kids and thinking that, I mean, my mother must have perfectly felt that we were talking about them and then not telling the truth. It's very awful, it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, but that's how I grew up, yeah, so. So when you finished high school, you you decided to go to study in Geneva? I always liked languages. So already during high school, I spent every summer abroad. So the first summer I went to Bournemouth in England to study English. I went to kind of student classes in the mornings and the afternoon to the beach. And then the second summer I went to Spain practice my Spanish. The third, I went to uh, the French part of Switzerland to learn French and then I went again to England to learn English. But this time, except for the first time, all the other times I, I was working somewhere. So in Spain I was working on a farm, in England I was working with uh, kids from my home, the French part of Switzerland on a construction site. But when you do go somewhere and you work, then you get an exposure not only to the language, but also to the culture and mm-hmm. the way of living. And that part I was very attracted to, to see how these things are different and I love that. So I did that during high school. After that I took a gap year and traveled through Latin America for a year. But first three months, uh, five months, I was doing different types of internships with um, the Catholic Church, with uh, people working that I accompanied to, to get a bit of an insight of what they were doing. So I accompanied nuns that worked with prostitutes, visited uh, the, the Swiss Red Cross and. Uh, uh, for a reconstruction project of a town that had been destroyed by a volcano, other projects with street kids. So it was um, for me fascinating. Really. And then when I traveled, because I visited all these projects, um, I, I kind of got into a network, and uh, anywhere I would go in Latin America, I would have other addresses of people working in the social field. And I found that a particularly nice way of traveling. So did, did that experience have an influence of what you chose to study after? Yes, yes, absolutely. I was almost sure, 100%, not 100%, like 95, 90% sure I wanted to do economics, but I was also interested in theology. And I lived during that year in many different places together with priests and I was always deeply impressed by their work. And I also noticed that it was the social work that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Their engagement with the people, finding, trying to find solutions to poverty and the whole religious part side, I wasn't my thing. So from that perspective, yes, it helped me to kind of firm up my decision that I wanted to study economics and not theology. 
But I also understood that in order to change things, it doesn't, it's not enough just to change it on, on, on the macro level. It always will require people that are really working with people on, on the grassroots level. And so you came back and from your gap year. And then I studied in Geneva. So I and wanted why to have, Geneva? Because I wanted to combine a language. And then a friend of mine at high school said, why don't you go to Geneva? It also has the United Nations and it has the Institute, uh, University Institute for Development Studies. And that one sentence for me was enough. Kind of, I thought, yeah, that really makes sense. Why would I go elsewhere? So you studied, uh, you went into economics. Mm -hmm. And then after, when you finished? Then I went to England. I did a master's in development studies. So when you were in Geneva, what was it for you? Well, I guess after one year of traveling everywhere, I mean, it was very easy for you to go around in Geneva, but what was it with other people, the situation in university? Was it easy to meet people, uh, have friends, or did you feel different there, or did you feel it was easy to mingle and uh... the mingling part I, I find easy I think that's also to do with You're my natural. personality I think if I, I like to reach out and but for me it was like being in a different country clearly though it was a different culture I mean you know the story why I know Natalie is uh, because of culture differences because I showed up for a dinner party on time and you're supposed to arrive late and there were many toads like that Yeah, I mean, difficult. It was difficult for me from a language point of view. I mean, you you, you have an additional Obstacle. challenge, uh, yeah. um, but that's especially in the beginning. So it was not a problem to be the Swiss German. No, it wasn't at all. I mean, you, I was teased all the time you know, <laughs> being a Swiss German, but teased in a never in a depreciative way, always in a kind of nice way. So I I felt included and accepted and appreciated. There came one day where I thought I would like them to know a little bit more about the German part of Switzerland. And uh, so I invited everybody uh, to come to Lucerne for the carnival. And that was a great experience, really. Um, parting and... Uh, and they discovered the fun part of Swiss German people. I mean, it really, for many of them, changed, totally changed the image they had of the German part of Switzerland. They thought what they saw to be just incompatible and impossible for the German part of Switzerland to, to coexist. <laughs> and, and also, I must say, they got to know many of my friends who also are kind of the opposite of what they had as a stereotype of, of a Swiss German. <laughs> they were more chaotic and they were, most of them were musicians or artists and not... not You know, the uptight, uh, mm -hmm. boring, <laughs> white socks. White socks. <laughs> I have an image you come to mind with the, the open shoes and the white socks. <laughs> Now, did you think that these experiences that you had, like, 
studying in another city and in another country and in your gap year uh, traveling through South America helped you later on when you began to work at the IMF to be able to you know adapt quickly with people coming from all kind of different countries I was definitely used to that environment it was nothing new it helped in the sense that I knew what I liked and what would not represent a challenge for me. So the fact that we have to go, that we go to, on missions to a number of countries for me never was any. Uh, was always something I I loved, was looking forward to, something exciting. The more different countries you would send me to, the happier I was. I liked the idea to go to different places every time and try to add on a day or two to visit and to. To go outside the capital, and you asked me whether it helped. I think it helped because I just did more of the same, which I liked. And so you, you have always felt comfortable everywhere you've gone. Or there were places where you felt like, oh, this is really different. Like, I'm not sure I have to behave or what I can say. Or... From a work perspective, there are of course things you you have to be careful what mm -hmm. you say. I mean. Uh, My first year at the IMF was the West Bank and Gaza. You know that you are working in a very loaded environment, politically uh, loaded. So you have to be, you don't speak freely what mm -hmm. you think. You have to really be careful. But there wasn't a place where I thought I could not live. But I always do when I go on mission, no matter where where it is. I like to go to inexpensive places where normal people will go and have a drink mm -hmm. or eat. And it's nothing to do with the price. It has to yeah. do with that you kind of get a glimpse of how people live there. Mm -hmm. right? This I've always liked. And then you, you chat with people and just have kind of conversations and those uh, I find interesting. I always talk with the taxi drivers and If I ask you not to organize a dinner with perfect strangers, who would you invite? What, who you would think is so different from you that you would like to know more? Hard question to ask. I'm, I think it, the further you go away, if you were to go into some tribes in Africa, Or then also if you were to go to some places in Asia where people haven't traveled, where they have a clear sense of wrong and right according to their codes and their cultures that I would just be oblivious of, that would for me be a total stranger. You have traveled a lot, you have seen a lot of places, so what is your hope for the world in general? I think the world has become smaller, just distance has become smaller by the sheer fact that we travel more easily and faster. This has helped us, on the one hand, to more easily experiment and experience other cultures and other people, and maybe also enlarging your perspectives, your the way of thinking, the way of seeing the world, because you learn from other cultures that you could see it in a different way, that 
is different, but not necessarily better or worse. So you would hope that people become more tolerant. But on the other hand, you do see in this same world that there's, when things become more difficult, when the, especially when the economy doesn't do that well, that despite what we know about the rest of the world, and people also become more inward-looking and less tolerant and less acceptant. So I don't have a good answer to you. I'm not sure it is linked to the travelling. Um, because if it was, we wouldn't witness a lot of things that we are witnessing today. I mean, this whole move also in Europe, uh, where some nations have become much more xenophobic, okay. you would hope these things wouldn't happen anymore if you were more tolerant, yeah. but it does. But do you think uh, economics has a big role to play in that? I mean, the economics often is a trigger. When you when you used to get every day a cake that is a little bit bigger, and uh, it's much easier to share right? because everybody gets a little bit more, or you get the same as yesterday. And you still can invite more. Mm. That's easy. But if every day the cake gets a little bit smaller, then the competition is much higher, and uh, you start to protect your little share that you have, and that's that's where the economics come in. Now, how you do it. That's not necessarily the economics, that's more the system of values you grow up in and uh, the culture you grow up in. And, and there I think we, as parents, as uh, teachers at school, we have a responsibility to teach values that are inclusive and don't try to solve problems by simply throwing one or the other part of the society in front of the bus, right? Yeah. Now you have lived how many years in the United States? 16, almost. So now, do you feel that you are part of the society here, that you, you know, you are becoming a little bit American? Absolutely not. No. I probably would have felt like that had I lived in an American environment. Had I lived in a, in a village or a city, where my co-workers were all Americans, I would have the American accent, because usually I, I tend to take the accent of the place I live. But it never happened here, because I live, I work at the IMF with a, in an international environment and keep traveling, and uh, so the interactions I have with Americans aren't that many. So I don't feel integrated at all. Right. If I lived in a truly American place, and stay there for a longer time, I could perfectly imagine that I would try to get involved in the local politics and mm -hmm. do all this or that and just be part of, of the daily life there. It never occurred to me to do the same here. I just don't feel like uh, I belong to here. So where do you belong? Maybe that's not the right word, to belong. I, I probably feel more of a a responsibility to co-shape what is going on if I feel I'm part of that community. Here I feel I'm part of the international community. What I would do with a community to get involved in local politics 
is exactly what I have done here but at the IMF. Mm -hmm. I got myself elected as a representative of staff. I am I'm volunteering here and there within the organization. Mm -hmm. So here I'm kind of part of the organization of this international body of the yeah. international life. When you go back to Goldau, there it's a place where you still find yourself at home. Uh, like you change too much and people are different now. I mean, you feel different from them. <laughs> to say the truth, when I go to Goldau, I mainly stay at my parents or my sisters. Mm -hmm. I immediately feel home. But can you imagine yourself living there? Myself, yes. And every time I go there, I'm like, man, this is so beautiful. I really would like to be there. My brother is there. We quickly will go for jogging and go up to one or the other mountain. And, <laughs> and then you're up there and you have this stunning view. I still feel very home there. Probably if I were to go back there, I would rediscover my own culture through different glasses. It's like... When, I, when we arrived here, the first six months, I, I had a true culture shock. Much more compared to when I traveled to Latin America or to Africa. And I think reason of it was that I didn't expect the culture shock. Mm -hmm. When you go to Africa, you're kind of conscious that's very different, right? So you come with the mindset that things are going to be very different. When you come to the United States, at least in my case, I thought, okay, I'm in another developed country, so it's probably going to be more or less like it was home, and it wasn't. And the differences at the beginning were the differences that I didn't like. So there was a lot of the negative that stuck out, and I found it really hard at the beginning. And it's only after having lived here for a longer time that I clearly see many of the positive sides and now also seeing some of the negative sides back home. So what was the negative side that was hard for you at the beginning? I think in our culture, you talk to somebody in a more engaged way once you know the person. If you don't know the person, you don't talk to the person more. Or less. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the way that the, the Americans do, like, hi, how are you? Even with somebody that you don't know, for me, was very strange. And it gave me this prejudice that Americans are superficial. And now, you know, all this time later, I find not at all. The Americans are not superficial. It's not because they say, hi, hello, how are you, and what's up, that they pretend themselves that that's a deep discussion that they have. And they're just being nice, that's all. And we have American friends with whom we have very deep discussions and very honest discussions and uh, true friendships. Mm -hmm. So one does not exclude the other at all. I have to come to appreciate it to the extent that I find the other way that we do it difficult. I think that in Switzerland, there's this urge to share your mood. <laughs> I like that this urge to share your mood. <laughs> like, you, if you're in a bad mood, everybody will know it. That's yeah, what you mean. <laughs> I, if I go in a restaurant to a restaurant and I order a coffee or a beer, it's nice here in the United States that somebody comes and smiles at you and is nice with you. 
And in Switzerland, you get sometimes somebody who's very grumpy. I wonder about well, today's I'm grumpy. I don't <laughs> care whether you're the customer or not. So that's, and sometimes I think, man, I not just pull yourself together and do your job. And, and I would like <laughs> to have my, my, my coffee or my beer. With a smile. With a smile. <laughs> so maybe I've become too American. But that, that's just one, 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 one example. The other thing that I didn't like and was I came with the expectation to come to the country of freedom, where everything is possible. And when I got here, I had the opposite impression. I thought, I've never been in such a policed country before, where for everything there is a rule. And when there is a rule, you do not violate the rule. And again, I think I've come to change that view a little bit. I think... The U.S. is much more of a melting pot than Switzerland is. And just because of that, you probably have more explicit rules. Because in a melting pot, you have so different cultures and you want to have everybody kind of behave according to a certain code. So you, this code is kind of explicit. In Switzerland, there are probably as many, if not more, rules, except that most of them are not written. If you grow up in my village, you know exactly what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And there you're not for, to follow these rules. I mean, you will be judged uh, with absolute certainty. So there isn't that much of a difference. It's also policed. It's just not written down. And yes, I do think Swiss have it easier not to follow a rule when it makes sense. So there's this con kind of what we would call the common sense, which maybe in the United States is a bit more difficult if you have are such a melting pot, because then common sense is according to which culture, what? right? <laughs> so I do think Americans stick much more to formal rules. A third thing which I found very nice here is how people appreciate children, especially having children myself. That is very different in, in Switzerland. Yes. You, if you want to go into a restaurant with two little kids that are noisy and messy... Everybody hates you. <laughs> you may not be that welcome. In the, in the US, your kids make a mess and you apologize and ask for a, kind of a, a broom to tidy things up. And they say, no, don't you worry. Your kids are lovely. They're so sweet. And we, don't, we, we do that. Don't you worry. You ask for a broom in Switzerland, they give you one, and they let you clean up. <laughs> <laughs> this is no, no. But they don't depend on your tip in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, but they have it. Yeah, okay, you can say it. But it's not just a tip. I don't know. I think yes, a tip is here, and then in Switzerland it's included in the price. But even if it wasn't, mm. no, no, no. So it's just, a different approach. Yeah, it's a different approach, and. It may be that there is so much more space here that uh, you get less on each other's nerves and uh, <laughs> it takes more for noisy kids to get on somebody's nerves than in Switzerland. I mean, we did live in an apartment building and we did get into troubles with neighbors when they were too noisy. So I think if you stick more people on close space you, together... You mean here? Here, yes. So it does happen here as well, but it takes more, I think, mm -hmm. than in Switzerland. So these were things, and I, I think the one that I found most difficult was the policing part. 
And I've never seen that many police cars either. Many. And then also there's another feeling when I talk to policemen. In Switzerland, I feel it's you grew up and you're always told it's your friend and helper. Here, I'm always a bit nervous. I just feel at their mercy. If you had something that you found by traveling and meeting people everywhere in the world or at the IMF that you would say had the most common human value that you, you will find everywhere you go, you yeah. find us as human, <laughs> you said love? Yeah, I think how we connect to people and appreciate each other. I think in that respect, we are the same everywhere. So that's where we should begin from. To get along. Yeah. It's this human part that really exists in every culture and different ways of expressing it, but ultimately it is that and sharing food with each other, eating together. So what do you want your children to to go on in life if you had some wisdom to give them? I don't think I have to give them. They from what I see how they are now, I think they're on good track. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Partly because we share this desire and love of traveling, of discovering the world and, and discovering different cultures and we've done it a lot together and mm-hmm. we love it and we still will do a lot. And so would you like to add something? I'm happy that my children are growing up with different languages. I find it fascinating to be able to travel and to kind of peek into different cultures and be part of them for a little while. And I think you're much more successful in doing so and you get much more of the nuances if you do speak their language. So having access to a culture being able to talk in the local language makes a huge difference and uh, to see my children growing up with several languages makes me happy that they have that possibility as well. When Juliette came back from Spain, she was so excited precisely because of that, that she noticed amongst all these students, she was often the one who was able to understand all the languages and translating from one to the other. and um, but made her feel very proud of course and but then uh, you know also with the broken Spanish that she speaks the few exchanges she had with the people who sell the fruit Mm -hmm. to do this or that made her very happy and to see that these kind of things make her happy made me happy so thank you Felix for taking the time to be with me and open a window in all your life experience Thank you.